Well, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16 as we think about how God moves in mighty ways, how God uh, does miracles when we think miracles aren't possible. Our buddies Paul and Silas are at it again. And as I said a moment ago, you're going to need to listen fast because I'm going to talk fast. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in Philippi, right? The city named after Philip of Macedon, the dad of Alexander the Great. They'd been to a house, a place of prayer. They met Lydia. Lydia becomes a follower of Christ. She's this successful businesswoman. Now, in Acts 16, verse 16, they go back to the place where they met Lydia, the place of prayer. So pick it up with me. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, praise the Lord for that line right there. Everyone's human. We all get annoyed. And so he turned to her and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore, their, tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke are still in Philippi. Lydia and her family have accepted Christ. There are uh, going back, they go back to this place of prayer. And while they're there, this little girl comes up to them who's possessed by a spirit, the spirit of divination, uh, which means she can tell the future. She's a fortune teller. And, and this word in the, in the ancient Greek uh, for her sort of affliction, this word divination comes from two Greek words. From the, from the word spirit and the word python. Now those seem, don't seem to kind of go together. But in ancient Greek culture, uh, the great god, little g, uh, Apollo, was said to have embodied the python. And the priestess in the temple of Apollo was said to embody that spirit, the spirit of the python. And anyone who had the spirit of the python was a fortune teller. Could, could tell the future. And so the cultural context here in first century Greece was that this young girl had been possessed by the spirit of Apollo so she could tell fortunes. And so she tags along. She joins the prayer meeting. 
And while she does, she cries out, not like whispers it to everybody kind of under her breath. No, she's yelling out to the crowd, these men are servants of the Most High God. Is that true? Yes, thank you. No trick questions today. They are servants of the Most High God, and they, these men, are proclaiming the way of salvation. Is that also true? Yes. So here you have this demon-possessed girl who is telling the truth about Paul and Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Is that a good thing? Maybe. One trick question. Yes, right? Paul himself says it doesn't matter who proclaims the gospel as long as the gospel is being proclaimed. However, in that little region, in that culture, it might be a little odd. It might hinder Paul and Silas's witness if this demon-possessed girl is vouching for them. Do you see how that might be a little bit of a problem? And so here we are. We've, we've got an issue. This demon-possessed girl is telling the truth, but she's kind of associating herself with Paul and Silas. They don't really need her help. And Paul gets tired of her. Wouldn't you love just to be able to say that to people who annoy you? In the name of Jesus Christ, spirit depart. It doesn't quite work that way with your kids, your parents, students, right? It doesn't work usually. But in this case, it does. The spirit, that evil spirit, that demonic spirit leaves her. She's healed. There's a great miracle that takes place in this moment. But Paul creates a big problem also. These two men who had been making money off of this little girl have now lost their income source. And they're not very happy. And so they grab Paul and Silas and drag them through town. I don't know how that looks or what that would be like. But can you imagine just being dragged down a dirt road for three or four blocks? That, that's what I imagine here. I don't know if that's true, but it had to be painful. And they're thrown before the magistrates. Because when the demon left, the money left. There's a play on words in the Greek in that phrase. When, our, when the owners saw that her, their hope of gain was gone, <laughs> they weren't too happy. We know that, as a side note, we know that human trafficking exists today, but it existed in the first century too. Because this girl, I'm sure, was held against her will by these men. And Paul, out of the goodness and the power of Christ, releases her from that agony, that pain, that bondage. And they get dragged through the city for it. Another example of first century cancel culture. You do something good and people don't like it, you're out. And so these men bring charges against Paul and Silas before the magistrates, before the leaders. There are two charges that they bring against them. The first one is they're disturbing the city. They're a public disturbance. We still have that same charge today. You can't disturb the public. 
And then they claim that these men are Jewish and they're practicing non-Roman customs like exorcism. And that was illegal. Now, there's one big challenge here that we don't see in this moment, but do you know what citizenship Paul and Silas have? Roman, thank you very much, from the back of the room. Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. Remember like four weeks ago, I said, hey, Paul grabbed Silas, and one of the reasons he grabbed him, he brought him along on this journey, is because he was a Roman citizen. For most of us, that doesn't matter, but right here it matters. Little things matter. Because Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, and in a few minutes, that's going to make all the difference in the world. And so they're arrested, they're beaten with rods, and they're thrown into the inner prison. And what do they do in that moment? Do they huff and puff and complain and try to scheme? Do they bug the guard to let them go? Do they talk about how they could have done differently? Do they compare scars? You know, no, no. They start worshiping. They're singing. And so look with me at verse 25. About midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Paul and Silas at midnight were not complaining they were not scheming. They were not worried about what would happen or why they got arrested, not blaming the world. No, they were singing and praising God. Let me remind you that your witness is most powerful in times of difficulty. How you respond in difficult moments speaks volumes to others about your faith. Your witness becomes real in those moments. They could have been doing a lot of other things, but they chose to honor God in that moment, to lay their request before him, to sing praise and thanksgiving to him, loud enough for others to hear and to listen. Do you sing loud enough for others to hear? Well, that's a different sermon. Um, so that their witness would be heard. And so what can we learn from this moment in jail? Well, first of all, worship changes our attitude. 
When you and I seek to praise God, when we seek to turn our attention to him, to thank him, to celebrate him, to love him, to express our love to him, it changes our attitude. It may not change our circumstance, but it changes our attitude. And Paul and Silas were focused on the ever-present task of representing Jesus well. What are you focused on today? What will you be focused on at 2.30 this afternoon? What will you be focused on Thursday at 1.30 in fifth period? Or sixth, whatever it is. Don't get bogged down in the detail. What will you be Thursday morning at that meeting? Are you focused on the ever-present task of representing Jesus well? Trusting him, sharing his message, calling on him, declaring his greatness to others. When you and I focus on Jesus and his power, we have peace and comfort. Our attitude changes. But it also helps change others because our worship can be a witness. Their their worship was a witness to those other prisoners and was a witness to that jailer. Here's a man about to commit suicide because of this earthquake, and somehow, I don't know how God did that, but he not just like opened the doors, but all the chains fell off too. And so this jailer took his job seriously and knew that if he failed and those prisoners escaped, he was going to be dead. And so he was just fast-forwarding the process. And they stop him. They yell out, we're all here. Do you know the amazing part of that? It wasn't just Paul and Silas still in the prison. No, Paul and Silas must have had some level of impact on those other prisoners while they were singing and praising that none of them left either. Your worship is a witness. How you live your life with an attitude of worship speaks to other people. And so in that moment, he pulls them out of the cell and he says, what must I do to be saved? And he gives a, and Paul and Silas give a very simple answer. It's very simple to have eternal life. It's very simple. It's not always easy, but it's simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in Jesus Christ. Now this is the wild part of the story. Like, Demon-possessed girl gets healed. Earthquake opens everything up. Yep, I'm good with that. Like God can do mighty things. But this is the part I'm baffled by because I I know in our church family we have some law enforcement-related people at various levels. But when in our circumstance would an officer of the law take a prisoner out of prison to his house and have dinner with him and clean his wounds and let that prisoner share a message with his entire family. That would never happen today. That's the miracle of this story. Beyond earthquakes and demon-possessed girls, an officer of the law brought a prisoner to his house. Who are you bringing to your house? It's a great question for all of us. 
Who are we inviting into our house so they can hear the message of the gospel? He cleans their wounds. He feeds them. He takes them back to jail. And because it's already afternoon today and you're now going to look at your watch, I'm going to summarize the rest of the story. So I want to invite you to read verses 35 through 40. But they get back to jail and the magistrates, the leaders come in because they've realized that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens and they're in a heap of trouble because they've arrested Roman citizens and beaten Roman citizens. A big no-no. The magistrate has egg on his face. This is a political nightmare for him. And so what he does is try to brush it under the carpet and say, okay, guys, um, just be quiet, hit the road. And Paul and Silas and all their wisdom and glory say, oh, no, 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 no. You're not just going to let us go out on the side door. No, we're going to walk out the front. And you're going to declare our innocence. That's the DLV, okay? So read it for yourselves. Let me encourage you, church family, so often when we get into tough situations, when we get into difficulty, we get into hardship, we want to try to fix everything. And we try to manipulate and organize and plan and scheme, do everything we can. Let me help you. Let God handle the battle. You don't need to. Paul and Silas didn't try to manipulate the situation. They didn't try to worry with how we're going to get out. They didn't call Lydia with their one phone call and say, Lydia, we know you got money. Help us. No. They let God handle the battle. And what they got to see was a man and his family changed forever. And we know because they went back to Lydia's house, if you were here last week, that there were other people along the way that came, became followers of Christ. And so let's worship him today. Let's witness to his goodness no matter the circumstance. That's our calling. To witness to his goodness no matter our circumstance. Will you pray with me?